We've got here in Second Corinthians chapter 1 some words and some ideas which can really give sense to all our experience of, of life. And they're really quite profound. At verse 4 he says that God and Jesus comfort us in all our tribulation so that we may be able to comfort them that are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So he's saying that we have tribulation in our lives, we are given comfort by God, but that is so that we might be able to comfort others who are going through the same thing. He says, verse 5, that the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and also our comfort also abounds in Christ. He's alluding there to the idea of baptism, I think, uh, that we die with Christ and we rise again uh, with him, but that actually that dying with him and that rising again with him is an ongoing process throughout our lives. So verse 6, if we are afflicted, which we all are, it is for your consolation, which is made effective in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the comfort. Now, let's work out what he's saying here. He's saying that we suffer, and in essence we suffer the same things that our brethren suffer. We are comforted, and therefore that whole experience of suffering and comfort, of death and resurrection, is so that we might be able to share that comfort that we've experienced with others who are suffering the same thing. Now, that, as I say, is what can make sense of human life. That all that you're going through, and all that you come out of, is so that you might help others who are, in essence, going through the same thing. And when he says in verse 5 that the sufferings of Christ abound in us and so our consolation also abounds in Christ, well, how does Christ as a person minister that comfort or that, uh, that strength to others? He does it through a mechanism, and that mechanism is us. So if you have suffered something and you've received comfort for that, you are to share that with others. And because you're in Christ and they're in Christ, this is how it works out, that Christ, Jesus as the person who is in heaven, ministers comfort to others within his own body. It is through the other members of the body. And so everything that we experience in our lives is so that we might be able to communicate that yeah, that we have learned to others. But if we, as the, the trend I think is in modern society, if we lock ourselves up within ourselves, if we shut the door of our mansion or our little apartment or the one room that you struggle to find the, the rent for every week, and really we don't communicate with others, we can't be bothered to uh, interrelate with others, be it online, be it... Uh, going to meeting or if we go to meetings of the believers and yet we do it as a formality, as a social club and we don't uh, allow ourselves to make connection, deep connection with others, then it seems to me that the whole point of our suffering and all our experiences is in that sense in vain.
because the whole thing becomes dysfunctional. We're suffering, and yet it is in a sense in vain, because if we're not communicating what we have uh, learned from that to others, then the whole thing is, is a bit in vain. And also, they also lack that comfort and compassion which we could show them in the face of Jesus. And so, we're being called here to be, if you like, communicative, to, to share and to, to make deep-level relationships with people. And yet, this is something which I think as society keeps on hurting itself uh, more and more, people are retreating into themselves. It seems to me that mankind is in, is in retreat into himself uh, at this time, and the Internet has played, unfortunately, in that sense, a, a great part in this. Um, that you can just relate with people as you wish, uh, to what extent you wish, and uh, the real you and your real uh, experience of life is often not shared. And also that is the case for other people, and you also don't receive that comfort which you could have got from them. And so what happens to us in our lives is not, is not random. It is for a purpose, and one of, the, one of the purposes is that we might be able to minister to others. And once you realize that, then everything suddenly starts to make sense. I've never been an alcoholic, but I've spent a fair bit of my time trying to go through 12-step programs with people who are. And this, sometimes it's been quite amazing that someone who I thought was a hopeless case, literally in the gutter, um, managed to, to get over the alcohol and, and quit drinking, and it all seemed pretty wonderful. But then they went back. And they uh, had apparently gone through 11 of the 12 steps very well. And of course the 12th step is apparently the most painless and easiest, but it's what people tend to forget to do. And the 12th step of all those 12 step programs is that we commit ourselves to helping others who also have gone through the same uh, process, the, the same alcohol or drugs or whatever it is that people are addicted to. And people just forget to do that or can't be motivated to do that, and unfortunately people slip back because of not realizing the truth, really, of what is here in 2 Corinthians 1. I know the 12-step program is, is totally secular, it's not specifically Christian, but a lot of the ideas were obviously uh, found out of the pages of the Bible. And this whole idea of we exist now in our lives in order to comfort others and strengthen others who are going through what we went through, this is right out of 2 Corinthians 1. And if you don't do it, then you're going to slip back spiritually and in all sorts of ways. And typically one does, of course, have a, a certain circle of acquaintances who are also believers. This may be online, it may be uh, people one, one mixes with in small house groups or in large, large ecclesias, and yet there is a tendency to interrelate with each other on a purely surface level, on a social level, uh, etc., rather than opening up yourself. And there is a, a sense that no one would really believe what I have gone through. I can't talk about myself because it's so, my path in life was just so weird, nobody else has been through that. But 
behind the facade that we all put up, everybody has had absolutely unbelievable grief in their lives. They really have. And once you start to open up and to talk about yourself, not of course in a, you know, egotistical kind of way, but to share what God has done for you, you will find that others open up and you'd be amazed what people have gone through. There were people who I thought had had a charmed life, who seemed so happy and, you know, good health and uh, kids turned out well and happy marriage and money and that. And, you know, underneath some of those people, goodness, they've been through the most absolute unbelievable kind of grief in their lives and still go through it. But that is not immediately apparent. Uh, because of the way that, as I say, society has got increasingly <clears throat> of battening down the hatches, of presenting a, a, a sort of an appearance, a, a false self, uh, which we keep on projecting to other people, rather than actually having involvement with each other on a, on a more deep and meaningful level. And this is one problem of all church life, ecclesial life, that it does become the same old scene. It becomes same old group um, <clears throat> going through the same old kind of rituals, etc., when really it needn't be like that, and it shouldn't be like that, because we are in this world to help others in a quite simple way. That's what it comes down to. And so <clears throat> our experiences of life have been arranged by God so that others might see similarities and take comfort from wherein God has comforted us. Now, <clears throat> looking through the Bible, it's apparent that God works with human beings according to a pattern. And one could argue that what you've got in the Bible is, say, the accounts of, I don't know, 500 or so people, some of whom mentioned in more detail than others. And yet, as you go through the Bible, it's clear that, in principle, people's lives repeat it. You know, Ezekiel was told to eat unclean food, and he struggled with that. And Peter had exactly the same. <clears throat> and so it, there's all sorts of uh, situations that you see repeating. And not only do things repeat um, <clears throat> between lives, they repeat within our own lives. You just take the, the life of Jacob, that uh, Jacob deceived his blind father over a family matter, and Laban then later deceives Jacob in the darkness of that wedding night. Uh, Esau once begged food of Jacob, and he deceived him very cruelly. And as an old man, Jacob twice has to beg food um, from his own, his own son, Joseph. And you can see that in, in the life of, uh, of Jacob and Esau, how really their lives kind of uh, repeated. Uh, there were points of continuity between them. This also opens up another uh, window onto this whole vex question of why do we suffer? It was Ted Spongberg who many years ago now pointed out to me that you open the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 2, that man was perfect, mature, whatever, however you want to read that word, but that man was, was spiritually with the Lord and he loved God and he served God and he was uh, perfect with God in Job chapter 1, and at the end of the book of Job, he's declared to be the same. 
So why then all the suffering? Well, the classical answer, I suppose, is that, well, through suffering you come closer to God, and that you yourself develop, and I don't uh, deny that. But I think that there is also an element in which we suffer for the benefit of others. And I think that the, the purpose of the book of Job was not so much the conversion of Job, because he started out perfect and he ends perfect with the Lord. But the whole purpose of it, perhaps, for Job, was to convert the friends. Um, <clears throat> maybe Elihu and maybe Job's wife, depending how you read those two characters, but certainly the, uh, the friends. And so, that is one reason, another reason, why we, we suffer. Not only for our own benefit, but for others. You think of the, the palsied man who was healed by the Lord. It was really in order to teach others that Jesus had the power to forgive sins, because, you know, in Matthew 9 he says, what's easier for me to heal this guy or to, or to forgive his sins? Um, so there is an element in our suffering which is not just for us. Of course, the whole nature of any kind of pain, be it physical pain or mental pain, uh, tends to make us very self-centered, and we tend to think only of ourselves, that is normal. Uh, and yet, there's an element to it which is for others. But as I say, unless we are going to be sort of incommunicado with, uh, with others, that just isn't going to happen. And so, all that Paul suffered, he says, this is so that what he had learned and the comfort that he had received, he could share with, uh, with the Corinthians and, and with others. And so, as I say, this is what makes sense of human life. Otherwise, if one is totally selfish, it just appears a pretty bad ride, that it's a stream of bad uh, experiences that we try to avoid by insurance policies, by eating right and keeping ourselves healthy and uh, making sensible decisions and the rest of it. But things keep going wrong. No matter how smart and sensible we try to be, things keep going wrong. And why is that? It's clearly from God, and it's from God because he has a purpose that we should use that for others. And as I say, unless you're going to do that, we become like Israel, that they, they suffered so much, and yet it was in vain, and life becomes tragic in, in that sense. And so, <clears throat> this is where the body of Christ can become dysfunctional. If we actually are not mediating that comfort which we have been given to others, because Jesus in that sense is limited by his body, that he uh, works with us on the basis of being in a body. And of course there's divisions in the body, people don't talk to each other, people throw each other out of fellowship and all this kind of stuff. And people also just go into their shell and they don't communicate. It, it, I, I mean in the wider sense of, of communicate, of sharing them, themselves and their experience. So he says, in, for example, in verse 11, you also, helping together by prayer for us. So then, what's the point in praying for each other if prayer, in fact, does not help? Um, what's the point? And the, the fact is that God might act one way in a person's life if that person has lots of other people praying for, for him or her, 
and yet he may have to act another way if it's only that person's prayers on their own. I think that has to be so, or else otherwise the whole concept of prayer for others rather loses its, uh, its meaning, because you could say, well, why pray for this person if, in fact, it all depends on their prayer? I should just encourage them to pray. But the fact that prayer does make such a radical difference in the experience of others is why Paul is always on about the need to pray uh, for others, and he does it in all his letters very clearly. He says, I'm praying for you all the time. So then we become, in that sense, uh, Jesus to others, because, as he says in, uh, in Ephesians and Colossians, the body makes increase of itself in love by that which every part supplies. So then, between us, as the body of Christ, we have all had the whole range of experience which any one of us might go through. And as I say, the problem with suffering is that we tend to think that it's very isolating, that nobody knows how I feel. But the more you talk to people, and the more you, you get over that facade, which we've all stuck up in, in front of our own faces, uh, the more you get over that, the more you realize that man is not alone. Not only because God is with us, and Jesus is with us, but there is the body of Christ here on earth, which is designed in order to give and minister uh, that comfort and strength, as it were, right on the ground. And so, that's why, as I say in verse 5, he says, the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and our comfort abounds in Christ. And this is Paul's favorite phrase, in Christ, the idea being, as he goes on to say here, that that comfort comes from the body of Christ, from those who are baptized into Christ and are counted as in him. And he says in verse 19 that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us. And it's hard to get the, the right sense of the Greek through in, uh, in any language of translation, really, but the idea is that we were preaching the Son of God, Jesus Christ, um, in ourselves. Again, when it says by us, it can also mean in us. Um, he says in, uh, in Galatians that he placarded Christ crucified in front of their very eyes. It's Galatians 3 verse 1. And that they saw Christ crucified in that they had met Paul. And that he was, as it were, the crucified Christ right in their face. The preaching of Jesus is not just the preaching about Jesus, it is the preaching which is Jesus, that we are the face of Jesus to people. You've got that in Second uh, Corinthians 2, in verse 10. He says, uh, if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes I forgave it, in the person, or RSV, in the face of Christ, that we are his person, his face to others. And their experience of us, for example, in this context of Paul forgiving the Corinthians, is their experience of him. And so, in all our preaching, we are him to, to this world. We, we really are. And he, he says in verse 18, our, our word, our word of preaching toward you was not yes and no. In other words, it was not an endless shade of grey. 
it was positive. It was yes. Why? Because we were preaching in Christ. We were Christ to you. And in him is not yes and no, verse 19, but in him is yes. So the very positive style of Jesus, Jesus as a person, not yes and no, not endlessly unsure and uncertain, but that that positive yes, which uh, flew, flew out really, I think, from the body language of Jesus, from his words, his teaching, the content of that teaching, his behavior, etc., in him was yes. Well, we also have got to be yes men and women. Why? Because we are Jesus in, in that sense. So then, Paul talks uh, specifically of how he had gone through an awful situation in Asia. Having talked about uh, the purpose of our suffering is in order to help others, he says in, in verse 9, uh, well, verse 8, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that came to us in Asia. That we were pressed out of measure above strength. We despaired even of our lives because we had the sentence of death in ourselves. The NIV says, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. So he's saying that he had had a death sentence. That was what happened to him in Asia. And yet the God who raises the dead saved him out of it. And just turn over a page back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. He's talking here, obviously, about the resurrection of the body. And he says that his hope and belief in the resurrection of the body enabled him to fight with wild animals at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in Asia. Now, you can take that uh, figuratively, but I would take it literally. We know there was a, an arena, an amphitheatre at Ephesus, and there, there is evidence that sometimes the Romans dealt with troublemakers who they weren't quite sure how to deal with by putting them in the arena with wild beasts, and if the, uh, the accused uh, killed the wild animal, then they were sort of let off. And I think that that's what happened, because here in 1 Corinthians 15.32, he says that it was his hope of the resurrection of the body which enabled him to cope with that situation. And here in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he's saying that when he was in Asia and he got the death sentence, it was his trust in the God who raises the dead. Same context, same idea, which enabled him to get out of that. In 2 Timothy 4.17, when he's about to die, he says that God had saved him once from the mouth of the lion. And 2 Timothy 4 is not a sort of a chapter, I would say, given to figurative um, language. The mouth of the lion he was saved from, I would say, was this fighting with wild beasts at Ephesus. And earlier in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 4, verse 9, he talks about how uh, we, the apostles, were, as it were, led out uh, into a spectacle uh, in the eyes of God and of men. And that takes on another uh, sense uh, of uh, literal meaning if what I'm suggesting is true. So he went through this awful experience and I'm suggesting that it was a death sentence, he was thrown to a lion but uh, he had to fight with that lion and he killed it or maybe God killed the lion somehow he was saved from the mouth of the lion he says to Timothy 4.17 
And that might seem a totally unique experience. I mean, how many people have been through that, being thrown into an arena in front of a load of people to fight with a lion? <clears throat> and if you, you kill the lion, then you get, you get off, and if he kills you, well, he kills you. And that uh, God saved him out of that. You might think, well, that's an experience that you can never share with other people. That's so unique. But here Paul is saying that he went through that, uh, and he, he says that in the context of saying that whatever suffering we have, and the comfort and the salvation that we, we experience, we are to use to comfort others. And he says, look, you know what happened to me in Asia, in Ephesus? This is what happened. And on that basis, I'm comforting you. So it is not simply that, for example, if you have lost a child, then you can help someone else who's lost a child. It, it's just not that simple. He's saying that if you suffered something, well, in essence, somebody else may have suffered the same, or has suffered the same, and the comfort that you experienced in that situation, you can use to help others. So it's no good saying, yeah, well, I don't know anyone who suffered exactly what I did. Maybe not exactly. No one exactly suffered what Paul did in Ephesus, being thrown to the wild beasts. Um, and yet, in essence, people people have. Um, so, you know, every life is unique. No, no one's lived exactly your life. But they have done in essence. And all that we've been talking about is really the very essence of why Jesus died in the way that he did. He died in the way that he did, you know, public crucifixion, torture to death, really, um, and with a, a complex set of psychological sufferings, that, of betrayal, etc., that led up to that, and total misunderstanding by his own people, the Jews. Uh, he suffered as he did, uh, so that not one of us could ever say, nobody knows how I feel, because there is Jesus in heaven, who does? And that was why he died in the way that he died. And the point is that that comfort, that strength, which he is willing to give us personally, he has chosen to mediate to each of us through each other. And it is therefore for us, with these thoughts in mind, to go away and practically enable that to happen. <laughs>